And particularly if you're a curious individual, you, you kind of want to experience life as it, at its fullest. Um, but life is very difficult, as we know. It's a very difficult path. There's joy and sorrow for all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what I was trying to explore is the different viewpoints. Faith at the Fringe, a Sanctuary First podcast series. Uncovering God in the creative arts. At the biggest international arts festival in the world, Sanctuary First stops to ask, where does faith and art meet? A Sanctuary First podcast that seeks to engage with creatives and musicians and actors at the Edinburgh International Fringe Festival. I'm Albert Bogle and I'm joined by my colleague Rob Rawson and together we're going to be interviewing members of the cast that that's running the play in the festival just now called When Thora Heard Met Kurt Cobain. And it's interesting that we've got with us the writer of the play, which is uh, Clara Haddon, who's with us. And we also have one of the, the we've got Thura Heard herself, which is, in fact, Kelly Gamble. And so we're going to enjoy having a conversation with you. And I know that you, you Kirk Caban, is actually a Anthony Hop. Anthony Hopkinson. That's right, yeah. But he's not with us. No. But uh, we've got all we need. With the fear of you being here today. So listen, th- th- it's such an interesting thought. When I was looking through the the menus, you may say, or the the, the program for uh, the fringe, I saw this and I thought, wow, we mm. need to get these people on if we can to talk to them about this conversation. So, what made you think about this idea? The the original idea came from listening to Kurt Cobain singing, Jesus don't want me for a sunbeam. Jesus don't want me for a sunbeam. Sunbeams are not made like me. So it's a take on a traditional Christian hymn, Jesus wants me for a sunbeam. Mm. And it was kind of going round in my head, this idea of, subverting a traditional Christian hymn, which originally, I think, was um, produced by a a band called The Vaseline, so I think might be Scottish, actually. Um, So I had this idea of um, maybe playing around with it. Initially, it was just the song, and I was aware of the Christian hymn, um, which was written about 1900, I think, and I thought, how interesting would it be to contrast his take on that with someone of faith and immediately I thought of Thora Heard because she was a lifelong Christian and Methodist and I had the idea that probably she would be someone that would have sung that song in Sunday school so it kind of started with that two very different people very different lives um, very different upbringings um, and it kept going around in my head and when I have an idea to write I know that I will write it if it won't go away so it kind of stuck and it went from there and then obviously developed the idea of the play about these two very 
disparate people who, on the surface, seem not to have anything in common. But like most human beings, if you scratch the surface, actually, there is a lot yeah. in common. Well, I'll sing back to you. A sunbeam, a sunbeam, Jesus wants me for a sunbeam. A sunbeam, a sunbeam, I'll be a sunbeam for him. That's right. And of course, you've taken that. And it's actually, this is going to be a very interesting podcast, folks, because we're going to use this to be like the little boat that will take us through the life of this particular conversation. And we're going to be exploring things like um, things that are about faith and belief. We're going to be exploring things like death and loss, about fame and the pitfalls of fame. And we're going to be thinking about home life and what's missing when a family breaks up. So there's a whole lot going on in this podcast, and we hope that you, our listeners, will find yourself drawn into it, because already I find myself eh, fascinated to this in this conversation. So I'm going to now go over to you, Kelly, and just say, what's it like trying to play a national treasure? <laughs> Very intimidating. <laughs> yeah, um... Yeah, when Clara first asked me, I my first thought was, I can't do it. But actually, um, I've grown to absolutely adore Thora Heard. Um, lots and lots of watching her old films and the old footage. And I just think she was the most wonderful, wonderful woman. Um, so funny, so sort of down to earth, but just with real soul, I think. She just, yeah, she's just lovely. So actually I've, I've grown, I love playing her and, um, and I think I quite enjoy, you know, I'm only 46, um, you know, I quite enjoy sort of, um, embodying somebody who's older and, and very different. And then when I come off stage, people not necessarily knowing it was me, <laughs> it's, you know, people go, hang on a minute. Yeah. So I, I enjoy that. <laughs> yeah. So in doing this, have you had to do a lot of rehearsals in trying to get into Thora's mindset so that you can engage with, and is that, is that changing the way you're thinking? Yeah, yeah, because she's she is um, a very grounded, very positive woman, um, and I think you can't help but for that to seep through into into your own outlook. I think um, it's really helped me um, by following this this process through to 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 take on some more of that. Um, you know, I think I'm probably more naturally. Um, quite an anxious person probably more like Kurt and this has kind of really helped me you know even before we go on stage I find myself channeling uh Thora with my nerves and things you know and just sort of finding that inner calm that I don't know where that's come from really but so it must be her <laughs> the thing about I, I always thought about Thora Heard was it reminded me of my gran yeah she reminded me of gran my aunties she was just sort of it's a funny thing to say but she was very normal Really no, I grew normal. up in the north, so you know, and she yeah. was from Morecambe, wasn't she? So yeah, she was. She was just sort of like 
the 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 lady next door very normal you know. and she talks about that in in the play that she's she feels that she's lucky and that she's normal yeah. um and yeah and i so and i think that come comes across and she sort of revels in that a little bit she she likes the fact that she she ne- she hasn't ever tried to be anything more than she is and also i think obviously she's been playing mothers and grandmothers all her life <laughs> and and again she's quite proud of that that she's sort of comes across as everybody's mother or grandmother or yeah, yeah. it asks the question though what is normal absolutely yeah who knows <laughs> <laughs> clara can i go over to you now and think about as you were putting this together this conversation what why did you it's almost a conversation. It's about about how you make sense of life for someone, and you've got someone here in Thora Heard who has got something that's helping her, a, a lens that she's looking through that's helping her see what life means, and then and so she's you might say a. a, a a grounded Christian in in Methodism, mm. which no doubt he should have been brought up with Bible study and and rooted in in the importance of song. In fact, mm. a lot of the songs that she would sing, she would understand her theology because the Wesley songs were just full of theology. You know, we sing that song. You know, heart the herald angels sing, and then you look at the the, the theology in it. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Born to raise us, sons of earth, born to give us second birth. All that theology packed in hymns that she'd have known to sing. And then then Kurt, who's someone who was baptized a Christian, but had, I believe had a, a happy life up to she was about a nine-year-old and then things went wrong. So what? how were you bringing that together to, what bits of faith were you wanting them to be talking about? I think all of us are, exploring aren't we that's what life is i think um and particularly if you're a curious individual you you kind of want to experience life as at its fullest um but life is very difficult as we know it's a very difficult path there's joy and sorrow for all of us Mm -hmm. um and i think what i was trying to explore is the different viewpoints in the sense that they were very different, but they were also very diff- very similar. So she was lucky in a sense because she was grounded in faith from being a child. She knew nothing else. In fact, she says, you know, um, I got off at the first tram stop at Methodism. And that's how I see faith to some extent because it, it's very, very attractive, I think, faith. It helps people a lot if you can embrace it, if you're fortunate enough to be able to do that, you know, irrespective of what that religious faith is. For me personally, I can't do that. You know, I, I kind of sometimes think, well, I'd really like to succumb, but I just can't because for whatever reason, it, it, it won't allow me to, you know, uh, maybe I've got too many questions. So I think Kurt was, was exploring, but he couldn't get off at the first tram stop. Mm. Um, he, he was baptised as a child. He lived with a Christian family as a teenager. Um, and he says every day was like Sunday and, and, you know, I was a holy boy. And I think he revelled in that, revelled in the purity of that, but it didn't last because he'd got these, if you like, I don't like to use the word demons, but he'd got these questions 
Um, he was a normal young man. He was a, he was a teenager. He was going to experiment anyway. But he was pulled all his life, I think, between, as we all are to some extent, um, different forces. So for her, faith was simple, really. Um, for him, it was more complicated. But that doesn't mean that she didn't have difficult times. Um, I discovered in researching her life that um, she'd lost her older sister. Her parents' first child, Olga, was run over uh, when she was six years old on Morecambe Promenade. Um, and in the play, um, we touch on that. We have the voiceover of Thora's mother talking about the loss of a child and the church ceremony um, where the Salvation Army and the Methodist congregation do actually sing your version of Jesus Wants Me for a Sunbeam. But the faith enabled Thora's mother not to become bitter, I think, whereas other people might struggle more with that. Mm. And interestingly, just to say, on, uh, to add to that, Kurt really wanted a family but was terrified of the, lo the potential loss of a child. So that's kind of one of the themes that is born out in the play, mm. you know, what it means to love and lose or fear loss. So they were both seekers, as we all, I think we're all seekers, but she just had this rock of, of faith and, and he was more... Uh, well, I think, I think you're so perceptive in what you're saying here today. I think this is quite... These podcasts have been very, very powerful. And I, I really thank you for coming here today to talk about this. Because in doing this, in some way you are talking about your own understanding of how people find faith. Mm. And also I admire your honesty mm. in saying, you know, it's not for me, but it's not for you. This is a, coming from my perspective mm. as, a, as, as someone who is trying to point people to faith, say, mm. just yet. Because I think faith is not something that, I think it's something it's uncovered, it's revealed. It's like a revelation, you know, a cover. It's always there, but it's uncovered and you see it. You go, wow, right, I get it now. But what you're doing is wonderful because you're seeking and you're turning over stones and you're helping people to come to terms with something because there will be people listening to this podcast today and they'll be saying, Clara, that's exactly where I am. And I know people like Thorough Heard, but I also know people like Kurt. Mm. And, and, and I would long, I know where I would like to be, mm. but how do I get there? Mm. And I think that's the area that we're going to be exploring more today uh, in, in this podcast. So mm -hmm. thank you for, for mm. that wonderful answer. Thank you. And, and talking of exploring, I mean, there are a lot of issues that they, I know, Albert, you touched on it a little bit earlier, but there are lots of ex, uh, things that were discussed in the conversation, like Eastern religions and uh, Methodism, family life. Could, could you tell us a little bit about some of the things they talk yeah, about? Yeah, so obviously one of the main topics, although I wouldn't say it's exclusive, is the discussion around faith. Yeah. So he asks her about, initially, because she's dressed as a Salvation Army officer, Captain Emily Ridley from the series Hallelujah, yeah. he asks her if she's, you know, um, a sister, and she says no. And then um, she says that she's a Methodist, and he asks her about Methodism, what do Methodists believe? 
Um, and then he talks a little bit about his baptism, which I've touched on. Um, but then he says he's kind of lo- not lost faith, but he's looked at Buddhism since then. So he said, I watched a couple of documentaries on Buddhism. Recently, I've got into Jainism. So in 1991, at this time that the play is set, he started looking at Jainism, which I don't know a huge amount about, but I know it's an Eastern religion. Mm. And he says they even have hospitals for animals, including pigeons. And you can see he kind of really gets excited about this concept of, you know, a a hospital for pigeons. Um, So... um, and then they talk about the Beatles album, the Sgt. Pepper's album. Yeah, yeah. And she is refer- referenced on that in, um, is it A Day in the Life, Kelly? I can't remember now. Uh, or is it Good Morning? Good Morning. Good Morning. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it says Time for Tea and Meet the Wife. Well, Meet the Wife was a series in the 60s which Thora Heard was in. Uh-huh. So again, it was, it was coincidental um, that he loved the Beatles and she happened to be referenced in one of the songs. Um, but, of course, the Beatles were going through their Eastern phase, their Indian phase, um, with the Sgt. Pepper album. So they kind of, th- there's a kind of reference to, slight reference to Eastern religion, but also music, which they both loved. Yeah. Um, and they have a little sing-along together to one of the songs. Um, but in, di- in addition to faith, they talk about family, um, love, you know, love of a partner. She had a very, very devoted husband called Scotty and a daughter Jeanette Scott who was an actress she's still with us isn't she she's still with us and she had grandchildren and he obviously was in love with Courtney Love and and they did have a child before he died called Francis so there are lots of things that they have in common Um, you know not just this exploration of faith Mm. Kelly I wonder if I could ask you a question you know what bit of the conversation do you enjoy most playing? <laughs> oh, <clears throat> I, oh, that's a really hard question, actually. Um, well, I thought you'd just come out and well, say, oh, this yeah. is a bit, yeah. I mean, I don't want to give too much away, but there's, there's a great bit at the start where she recounts an anecdote during the war um, that's to do with um, the menu of the rationed food that's available and a, and a typo. That's all I'm going to say about oh, that because you'll you. have to come and see the show mm-hmm. if you want to know what that's about. And I think the other thing that um, I loved, uh, the, the other bit I love is um, when she talks about the, the night she, she, met, she meets her husband um, and they, they dance um, at, at the Morecambe Winter Gardens. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, and she sort of conjures this picture of, of, you know, them. he's in his coattails, she's got a swanky dress on and he's bought her some perfume and she feels like a princess because she she's very self-deprecating so she you know she she doesn't see herself she never saw herself as a great beauty but she talks about how that night she felt beautiful um and again sort of that that unconditional love in their marriage you know that she feels she's completely and utterly um grounded and stable and 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 trusting that she's got this partner who who is her rock um, and, and what a nice feeling that must be you know not everybody ever finds that yeah, um, um, yeah so that's that's really lovely um, yeah so they're probably my two favourite bits that sounds great I mean that ties in so much too with one of the things the themes that we've been doing is actually first this month is habitats of hope and a place where you can feel secure and feel loved and of course, one of the things we are trying to get people to be, begin to 
go back, because often people who come onto our site and are part of our community aren't always church-carrying, card-attending people, right? So they, but they're seeking to live out faith in, rather than go to church. They're wanting to live church. And one of the things we are trying to encourage people to see is how much they're loved by God. And if you know how much you're loved by God, it grounds you. And I think that's what was coming over to me as you were talking about Thora and her, her love and, and unconditional love because she'd been taught about unconditional love in her faith. You know, and so the idea that God accepts us as we are. I think that's a lovely idea that God accepts us as well. He doesn't say, you've got to get better before I can mm. love you. Before He accepts us, and that's something about the generosity of God yeah. that, that reaches out in these conversations. So uh, I'm, in, I'm enjoying hearing you speak, and then I'm enjoying trying to make, as a preacher within me, I'm trying to make these faith links, which I hope you don't mind me doing, because no, it's just all. interesting to see that, how that's been drawn out. Um, the other area you're talking about is um, fame and the potential pitfalls. Clara, you were talking about how you thought Kurt was aware of that. He's quite... Yeah, I think he was. He'd, he'd always sought fame because he recognised that that music was probably the only way out for him. Um, you know, he was from Aberdeen, which is a grey coastal town up in uh, on the northwest Pacific, fairly near to Seattle, very kind of nondescript. Um, he loved music from a child. He loved the Beatles. He, he used to sing along to Alvin and the Chipmunks cartoon when he got his first guitar. He lived and breathed uh, guitar. He was a left-handed guitarist, self-taught, very talented. So he knew that music was the way out, and he was desperate, in a way, for recognition. Fame, possibly not so. So he got involved eventually in the Seattle grunge scene with bands like the Vaseline's Mud Honey, et cetera, et cetera. And it took them a while to, to break, but they did eventually. Um, and he was very driven by that. You know, they were very, very poor, no gas for the car, you know, living on people's floors, settees, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but eventually they got their break. And the, where, where the play is set in 1991, they'd just finished their first European tour and they'd had a great time. His band members, um, Dave and Chris, <coughs> were really supportive and you know he'd enjoyed the, the, the summer tour um, around Europe. It was just after the release of um, Nevermind. Is that the right album? Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. Nevermind. Um, so they, 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 they were becoming famous. So literally, when he speaks to Thora, he's on the cusp. But he, even in the play, he's questioning, do I really want this? You know, he's kind of reached this stage of recognition. But he quotes William Burroughs and, you know, the, the money-eating machine he recognises that fame is very, very dangerous. And um, he says to Thora, you know, I don't ever want to be fake. And he quotes Freddie Mercury, he says, you know, I'm not Freddie Mercury, I don't live for the adoration. So he's kind of, 
he's very conflicted about it, but I think he knows, he's got prescience that all will not end well, you know, because he's already obviously started drug use. Uh, he had a terrible stomach condition. Uh, he was in agony, so I think opiates he used a lot for the pain. Um, but yeah, he'd, he'd craved fame all his life, but when it actually arrived, I think he realised that it, it was going to be difficult. He wanted to be authentic, I and think. I think it's the tension between he was ultimately an introvert. It's that tension that I think a lot of performers have. Like you hear it, I think, a lot with comedians. Quite often they're, they're very introverted, but mm -hmm. on stage they have to be performers, and I think that's always a very you know, interesting tightrope to walk when, when that's not your natural place. So the, when that then... You, you've got that and then there's adoration coming back at you I imagine it's very um addictive but also quite scary and mm. completely against what your natural character is when when you're somebody who's who's maybe a little bit more it's interesting that, that your, your show is set is it the night before Nirvana appeared on top of the it's pops. It's the very evening. Th that very evening, which yeah. is, of course, when that fame came, because that yes. was quite yeah. something. Yes. I mean, so he was, a lot of people remember that performance, which yeah. was live. He, he's literally on the cusp. Yeah. Um, so it's set in one of the green rooms, and it's a meeting between Thora, who's just come from filming, and he's preparing to go on top of the pops. Right, right. Yeah. Did this conversation create within you a sense of compassion for Kurt. Definitely. And, I, and is, that, is that being worked out again in your own... I, mean, I know it's just you're starting this, and, but is it, is it learning it? Because you have to spend hours learning lines and, and becoming aware of it. Do you enter into that or do you just take it as a as a a line you've got to learn or, or just compassion um, as you try to enact it out do you feel it i'd like to think i mean i'd like to think i'm quite a compassionate person anyway i mean i, I work for a homeless charity <laughs> yeah right. in my day job and you know i so i i'm quite a a sort of giving person and i've you know i grew up in the church and, and all, so i think it probably tapped into that um i've never had children but I, I definitely, you feel maternal. Mm -hmm. um, I, that feeling of sort of being a bit concerned about somebody and because <laughs> I am the older cast member. <laughs> so I, there is that parallel in that, you know, I'm looking after Anthony uh, as well. You know, like he forgot his towel, so I've lent him a towel, <laughs> <laughs> things like that. So I think that, yeah, it's quite funny because there are some parallels where you're sort of, yeah, yeah, definitely. You 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 do live through it and and see that and 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 it's interesting because we had um, an audience member yesterday that said they'd come because they were a fan of Thora and never really you know hadn't really liked Kurt Cobain and Nirvana, but having watched the show, they were like, actually, I I think I might think differently about him now. So clearly, there that's coming through. That, that sense of um, through, you know, his struggles and things and his humanity, that's coming across and people are maybe understanding him more, um, but also there's a sense that she's bringing that out of him. And, and yeah, and I like to think that, that that's something I try and do as well. 
Talking about another area that you go into in the discussion, I believe you talk about death and loss. And there is, in talking with you, Kelly, and or because I think you're Thora now. I mean, you're, you're, you're making me think I'm speaking to Thora. Thanks, love. But, but, but in thinking about this, it brought me aware of, we're now coming to a point of sadness in all of this. And, and it touches me to think uh, Van Gogh, who was a great artist, but never sold, I think he only sold one painting in his life. You know, and he said to his brother at the end of his life, sadness won't go away and I wonder if there's a hint could there be a parallel could there be a hint of that Clara in your mind when you were writing this of the sadness that was in this this man who was on the curse of of fame but not sure he wanted it yeah I mean he talks about the suicide gene the Cobain suicide gene because his um his paternal grandfather's brothers all died at their own hand. There were four boys, four lads. And his mother's grandmother, uh, sorry, grandfather, died in an asylum. He actually uh, pulled it, he'd got a stomach wound and he pulled it open and he bled to death. So there was a feeling, potentially, that there was a kind of almost uh, inevitability. I'm not saying that I necessarily agree with that, but there was definitely a feeling that there was a strong propensity towards, uh, you know, potential suicide. Uh, but I think he did have that sadness and just couldn't, for whatever reason, um, you know, throw it off. Although he, in the play, we try to bring out his sense of humour. You know, he, he, he has a playfulness. And if you watch some of the footage of him on YouTube, he's got a beautiful smile, you know, he's, mm. and um, Thora describes him as a, a Botticelli angel, you know, she, she says, I can't stop looking at you, there's a real sort of uh, charisma there, and, and almost like childish uh, quality to him, so I've tried to bring out the, 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 the joy, the potential joy, but inevitably, I think you're left with this feeling of inevitable sadness whereas Thora who was also known loss is able to kind of bounce back in a sense you know that she she believes in heaven she believes she's going to see her mother and her little sister again in heaven um, and she's committed to that so although she experiences sadness she has faith and I'm not saying that faith allows you to necessarily have a better life but it gives you that comfort. You're talking about this habitat of hope, of, of, of home. Um, and she had that, and I don't think he did. If someone was wanting to come along to the show, where would they find it, and what are the times? It's on between the 14th and 19th of August at five past five at Space Venues, Surgeons Hall Theatre 2. Listen, I'm just looking. Do you know what? Our time's up. Uh, and we've had a great time. It's a great conversation. And I'm sure our viewers and listeners will find this a fascinating insight into the life of Kurt and Thora. And so today, we want to thank you for looking in and ask you if you're able to give us your comments and your thoughts, because we would like to see what they are. And I'm quite sure that Clara and Kelly will have a look too and might even answer some of your questions. If you're intrigued, if there's a question that you've got that we didn't ask, 
but you would like to ask, then please put it on the chat line and have a conversation with us about it. We'd love to hear from you. But it leaves for me, all that's left for me is to thank Rob for his questions and to thank Clara for coming along and also to thank you, Kelly, for being part of our podcast today. And uh, above all, now we want to thank you and also remind you that this podcast can be seen on most of the platforms, especially Spotify and iTunes, and you can also see it on Facebook. You can download our app, our Sanctuary First app, from one of the um, the shops where you can do it on, online, or you can uh, go on to our website at www.sanctuaryfirst.org.uk and you'll get a link there to download the app. So, thank you again for joining us. Look forward to you being with us for our next podcast. Until then, God bless.